You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our first Sunday of December. Christmas is just around the corner. And I know that as Filipinos, we've been celebrating this for the past three months already, September. But this is officially the start of the Advent, wherein you have four Sundays till the actual Christmas Day. And what a nice way for us to be able to celebrate the coming birth of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus Christ. We are starting a brand new series about Christmas entitled, Rediscovering Christmas. Now, this is not the usual series that you probably have heard because as you can see in the poster, there's not even like some Christmas colors. And now what are the colors of Christmas again? Red and green, right? Okay, or gold or white. Or, you know, you have different symbols or icons of Christmas like the Christmas tree or the Belen or the star or the lights. But this series is meant for us to be able to go back in time to the time when the original gospel writers or the New Testament writers have written about the original story. And what was that all about? We want to rediscover Christmas in a sense that, you know, in the world today where it's full of commercialism, it's full of secularism and materialism, you know, we somehow have been cluttered by all the different messages that has been shared whether through oral tradition, our culture, television, YouTube, social media. And so it's all been like a busy time and a busy message of Christmas. In fact, just across the street, across Akasha, a Christmas decker done by Phil Invest. And you will notice that there is actually a sign uh, which is a countdown of Christmas. 23 days till Christmas, Santa is coming, okay? And so, you know, somehow the world has interpreted Christmas with the celebration of Santa Claus. There are some countries that have actually been celebrating Christmas and they don't even know who Jesus is. They are so familiar with all the icons and all the characters of Christmas, whether it's Rudolph or somebody like Grinch who wants to eliminate Christmas. And so altogether, what's this Christmas all about? You know, different confusion. You go to a mall, you go to a bazaar, the spirit of Buying and the, you know, the spending and the gift giving is still there. The distribution of the avenue may have changed. But we want to go back you know, as we look at this next four weeks. What is it that we are celebrating about anyway? How do we unpack and how do we discover once again the beauty of Christmas? Go back first century and study all the different gospel writers. From Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, these are gospel writers, including the Apostle Paul, who is a New Testament writer. Now, we're going to be focusing on today the book of Matthew, his intention in writing his gospel of Matthew, in addressing specific people, particularly the Christian Jews. And what did he mean when he was writing all these Christmas narratives? Of course, the second gospel that we are familiar with, after Matthew comes who? Mark, okay? Matthew, Mark, okay? If you check your Bibles, there's no Christmas narrative by Mark. Okay, Mark started with baptism already. You know, Mark is known as the gospel writer who loves action. And so I guess he wanted to skip the birth part. 
And so he went right away with the miracles and with all the calling of Jesus, uh, affirming of God, and so on and so forth. So we're not going to talk about Mark in this series, but we're going to go to Matthew Luke. Luke is actually a doctor, and he's going to be talking about people who are marginalized. And here we can see that the focus of Luke are those people who are not really the highest in societies, but the lower one, the shepherds, the poor, the oppressed, the widows. And so that the gospel and Christmas is not just for the elite, but the message is for everybody. So we're going to look at that. The third one is John. We're going to be focusing on the prologue of John, on how the Word became flesh and how it dwelt among us. So that's basically the message of the Incarnation. And so when you talk about the doctrine of the Incarnation, that's basically the message of Christmas, that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. And that's exactly what we're celebrating about Christmas. Christmas is not about us. It's about Christ. Christmas is about Christ. The whole essence, the whole name of Christmas, Christ must, Christ must. You know, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior King. And many times when we go through the celebration and the holidays, we drop on the Christ and we just greet some people happy holidays. Some companies do that because they don't want to be offensive because of they want to be able to somehow include the other religion. But how many of you know that this particular season really is a celebration of the birth of our Savior King, Jesus Christ? And the last, the fourth Sunday, we're going to be talking about the writings of the Apostle Paul. One particular writing was in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, wherein in the fullness of time, the virgin gave birth to a son. And so we're going to talk about how God has planned everything for the coming and the birth of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. Rediscovering Christmas is really a nice way for us to go back and take out all the clutters in our life and focus on the actual event that happened during that time. There's no bells. There's not really much loud music during that time when Jesus was born. People were not minding him. People were all busy doing their own work, living their own lives. There was no room in the inn. He was given birth in a very dirty stable or in the animals would feed. And so it was not a glamorous kind of a birth. Of course, nowadays we can actually add on to that particular narrative, but we go back and study why is it that this God who loves the world so much took the time to send His Son Jesus and come here on earth and dwell among us. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go right away to Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to unpack and explore the Christmas narrative story from Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin 
shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time together. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, once again, we ask that you would anoint every word that will be spoken out of this pulpit. And I thank you that you'll open up our hearts and our spiritual ears to hear what you want to speak to us as a church and as individual disciples. Thank you, Lord God, that you will show us and help us rediscover the beauty of the original Christmas. May your name be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is going to be a quick brushstroke or like a survey, not really a New Testament survey, but we're just going to go through a Christmas survey of the gospel and some of the New Testament writings. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew, Matthew is a Jew. He served as a tax collector during the time of Jesus. He was, you know, one of those people that the Jews hated because he was working on behalf of the Roman Empire, collecting taxes from the people and, you know, distributing or remitting the tax to the Roman government. And I guess, incidentally, while he's doing that, some of them are enriching themselves. You've got Zacchaeus, uh, who's an example of a tax collector there. Now, the other name of Matthew is also known as Levi, right? He is one who has been radically saved by God. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 9, that was a time when God called Matthew to himself. And Matthew invited all his friends to his house. And he threw a Matthew party, so to speak, so that they can meet Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Matthew was one who wrote this. Now, we're not really sure when the exact date that he wrote this. Definitely, this is not like a diary. Okay, that he was writing. Okay, so uh, you know, once he experienced the feeding of the five thousand, you know, did he actually write it right away? You know, like a a log or a diary, and then later on he just asked the Lord, Lord, anoint so that it will be canonized. You know, it didn't happen that way. In fact, it was more like they were looking at it like an oral tradition. Also, Matthew was known to have written it probably about twenty to thirty years after it happened. So if Jesus was 30 AD, he was crucified 33 AD. So he probably wrote this about 60, in the 60s or in the 70s. Not in 1960 or 1970, okay? In 60 AD, okay? I mean, that's how fresh it was. You still have the story straight, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, he was able to write the account of the gospel. The gospel means evangelion or good news about Jesus Christ, focusing on a person and not just any good news. It's focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you love receiving good news? How many of you know that if you are single and you suddenly get engaged, that's good news? If you are married for a while and you're praying for a child and suddenly God gave you a child, how many of you know that is good news? If you're waiting for your Christmas bonus, how many of you know if it suddenly comes tomorrow, that's good news? We love good news. And so, how is good news good news? I believe good news becomes better news if you know the bad news. That's why we appreciate the gospel. We appreciate the thing that was given to us by God because, you know, we were all sinners. The Bible says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? 
it's death. The payment or the penalty for sin, the moment that you sin, there's no qualification or classification of sin. It's death. And yet we somehow know that, you know, Matthew has put that in as one of his main messages in the gospel. He wanted to highlight among the Jews, and he wanted to prove among his Jewish readers, the Christian Jews, that this Jesus that you have crucified is Lord and Christ. And he was establishing that by going for the genealogy of Christ. He started off in the first few verses. He started off by recounting that this Jesus really came from the line of David. That's why we read a while ago, it is so important for Matthew to put there, this is Joseph, the son of David. You know, somehow from the lineage of David, he was establishing that particular story that this is no ordinary lineage. This is a special lineage. Now, of course, if you look at the narrative, there's something, a bit of a problem. There's a predicament of Mary, and of course, ultimately, it became Joseph's problem. When Mary was chosen by God to bear his son, Jesus Christ, she had no choice. She was chosen. So that's a predicament. They were both betrothed. Now, betrothal is different from engagement, okay? You know, there are two stages of a Jewish wedding. First is betrothal. In betrothal, you are as if you're married except the consummation of marriage. You got to be faithful to the one you're betrothed with. And so it's almost like a legal and a binding agreement already between you and your wife. They call it a wife already, though you're not together. And so when Joseph found out that Mary is with child. How many of you will react or respond positively? Ah, okay, you're pregnant? Oh, sure. I don't think so. He wanted to find out what happened. Of course, during that time, if somebody is pregnant out of wedlock, that's adultery, and that means stoning. It means capital punishment. So Joseph, the Bible says he was a just man. We will read that. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they're talking about the birth of Christ. Before they came together, she was found to be with child, not from any man, but from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, what was he planning to do? Resolve to divorce her quietly. He did not want to make a big scene. He didn't want to make a big case out of it. He didn't want to bring her to court. He didn't want to bring her to the Sanhedrin to be stoned. But somehow, to still give her a little bit of, if I may say the word, delicadesa. The future is not going to be good for her if she divorces her. No man will marry her anymore because of a child out of wedlock. But yet, it was a divine intervention that happened in these two people. The micro perspective is, you know, they are planning on a wedding. And somehow, there was a divine interruption or intervention. And the dilemma was she was found in a child and somehow God stepped into the scenario and all their plans changed. Now, how many of you have actually experienced that? You have plans and then there were like interruptions in your life. You know, and so we talk about interruptions, we talk about failures, we talk about troubles in life. And these are deviations from our original plan. How many of you actually had a change of plan? plan because God showed up. Because God showed up, things changed in my life. And I believe that divine interruption 
are God's invitation for us to trust more in Him. And we cannot just say, Lord, why is this thing happening to me? We can have all the complaints and all the grumbling and all the, you know, why me or a pity party. And so, but how many of you know that ultimately when you submit yourself to the hands of God, He knows best? Here we see a couple, two characters, Mary and Joseph, they had plans. They wanted to get married. They almost got separated until God had to intervene again. And we see that God showed up in a dream with Joseph, but he considered these things, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. So here we see the title of Joseph. Was he really the son of David? It means that he came from the lineage of David. He said, do not fear. You know, there are so many things that people fear nowadays. They fear the future. They fear lack. They fear sickness. They fear losing a loved one. They fear losing a job. They fear not having enough. They fear that there's going to be more days than money. There's a lot of fears nowadays. But God is saying, do not fear. You know, if you're hearing that, do not fear, it may be God speaking to you right now. Do not fear. You may be going through something. Do not fear. God has you. He's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. And then he said, Do not fear to take Mary as your own wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And I realized that I was reading this. You know, many times our interruptions in life are really divine. That somehow God allowed that to happen. You know, for example, you're already in your car, you're about to meet a client, and you're about to close the deal, and the traffic was so heavy. And then you got late for an hour, and then the client left. At that particular point, you don't want to thank the Lord. I mean, the biggest deal that you can actually have, and you lost it. And you don't know that God is just protecting you because you might actually be the one who's in that traffic. And it might have been your life, but He delayed you. We don't know. Many times, God's interruption and destruction are God's intervention in order for us to be invited to His presence and into His molding, sanctification process. Of course, when you look at Mary and Joseph, they're really the minor characters here. Matthew focused on Joseph because Joseph is actually the character in the Bible who has never spoken any word. He was silent. You can, you can look at all the Gospels. He never spoke a word. Talk about a man. We want to go right ahead and really unpack and rediscover why Jesus came here in the first place. And we will find it in the narrative. Matthew was so intentional in placing the names of Jesus and really explaining why he came here in the first place. It was not about Santa Claus. It was not about Rudolph. It was not about Frosty. It was not even about the shepherds. But it was about Jesus, the God who became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. What's the name? The first name that we find here is Christ or Messiah. Jesus came not only to redeem, but to rule, and that is the purpose of why he came in the first place. And we see that in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew was establishing that he is the one that the Jews were waiting for. The Jews for the longest time had been waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah. When you talk about Jesus Christ, you know, some people think that Jesus Christ is like his full name, that Jesus is the first name and Christ is the surname. It's not that way. Jesus is his given name and Christ means anointed one. It's like his title, anointed one or the one who is to come, 
the one that they have been waiting for. Literally, in the Greek, it's called Christos. And so, this is exactly what they were waiting for. They were waiting for a king to rule over them. They were waiting for a king to rule from the lineage of David. David was the mighty king who led Israel in all its glory days of Israel before the divided kingdom. David was the greatest king that they've ever known. And the promise of the prophecy was that a king will come after the lineage of David and he's going to be the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And they were waiting for this magnificent king who would come and maybe ride the white horse and maybe lead the army of Jerusalem into chivalry and you know, basically defeat the Roman Empire and deliver them from the Roman powers. But it was the total opposite. Rediscovering Christmas. He came in as a humble servant. He was born in a manger. He had no army because his kingdom is not a physical, political kingdom. His kingdom is a spiritual, but it is an everlasting kingdom. Amen. And when you talk about spiritual, when you talk about supernatural kingdom, supernatural is even more super than the natural. Because we focus on the natural. We focus on the political things here. We're going to be voting for mayors again next year. And there's going to be people running for office. And that's the natural world. This is called the political world. He is beyond this world. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the king and the ruler of the supernatural realm. The natural does not compare to the supernatural. They did not see that. It was mind-blowing for them. Who is this king who's going to come? When he came to Jerusalem, he was even riding on a donkey, not even on a horse. So it was so ironic. They were expecting someone and another image came along. But yet he came to rule over our hearts. He came to rule over you and me. In fact, he was asking his disciples, who do people say I am? They say that you are Elijah, you are John the Baptist, you are this, you are this prophet. And then he turned to them, who do you say I am? And they had to answer that because it will take a revelation from God for them to be able to declare that he is indeed King and Messiah and Christ. And I believe that each and every one of us will have to face that question from the Lord himself. We've been hearing from others about what their opinion is about me, but what about you? Who do you say I am in your life? Am I King or Am I assistant or vice president? Or am I just your executive secretary? Or am I a genie in the bottle or something? You know, who am I to you? Jesus wants to know. But ultimately, He's Messiah. He came to rule. He came to lead. He came to have dominion. He came to have authority over our lives. Second name that He had, as was unpacked by the narrative, is His name is Jesus. Something about that name. What a beautiful name, Jesus. Because that name means He saves. He came to save us from our sins. In verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is really the original Christmas. It is kind of odd for you to attend a Christmas party and talk about sin. It's not a popular topic. You're having an exchange gift with your monito monita, whatever or Kris Kringle, and then you talk about, uh, what about you? What's the greatest sin <laughs> that you've ever done <laughs> that God forgave? But that is exactly why Jesus came. He didn't come to give gifts. He didn't come to sing a song. 
He didn't just come to give us a nice life, but He came to give us the best gift ever, that is to save us from the fires of hell, to deliver us from sin, because we're all doomed to hell. We're all riding this train at full speed on our way to hell. But Jesus came. There was a divine interruption there. And He came so that He can redeem and He can actually forgive and He can deliver His people from their sins. John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit that caused them to be disqualified, God already set in His heart to send a rescue mission to save mankind from the calamity that sin could bring. Our problem is not just sickness. Our problem is not just confusion. Our problem is not just depression. It's more than oppression. It's more than poverty. Our problem is the greatest problem that anyone could ever have. We're all sinners. Sin brought us to a state of deprivation, to the point of death and eternal separation from God. And Jesus came in order for us to be rescued. Paul said to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. He was acknowledging that God forgave me from all my sins because I am the worst of all sinners. Before he got saved, he was killing Christians. That was his job description. He would bring them to court and he would actually persecute them and he would stone them and kill them. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why will the holy God die for the ungodly? I don't know. It's because of love. While you and I are sinners, Christ gave Himself for us. Maybe some of us have enemies. Maybe some of you have people that offended you. And I don't know what your prayer is for those people. Bless them, Lord. But yet when Jesus saw us in the midst of our sins, He had His best intentions for us. And that is to save us because we don't know what we were doing. His very words at the cross, His Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I believe that's exactly what He was saying as you and I were continuing on with our sin until the Holy Spirit interrupted our life and arrested us and saved us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 to 13 says, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Jesus said this, But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And this is really the good news. Anyone can come to Him. The church doors are open for all of us who are sinners. We were not seeking God. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, There's no one who seeks God, no one who does good. All have turned away from Him. And yet God sought after us. And He saved us. Third name that we can see from this narrative is not only was He Christ or Messiah, He was also Jesus. But third name is Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. It means God with us. Jesus came so that He could be with us. It comes from two words. Emmanuel meaning with us and El meaning God. And here we can see that in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And there are hundreds of prophetic words in the Old Testament that were fulfilled through the life of Jesus. And Matthew clearly saw that and he was actually presenting this in his gospel. Some of the things that were fulfilled as Jesus was born and as he was on his way to the cross. 
Some of the prophecies fulfilled was he was born of a manger, born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah. And so the verses are on the side that refers to the prophecy. He worked miracles, began ministry in Galilee, entered Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, wounded, bruised, hands and feet pierced, crucified, garments torn, bones not broken, side pierced, would rise from the dead. These are some of the prophetic words that Jesus actually fulfilled by his very own life. They expected a conquering king, they got a crucified Messiah. They expected a politician to come, a king, a mighty king, but they got a prophet. They expected the glorious line of Judah, and they got a humble lamb of God. He did not even speak while he was being tortured and brought to the slaughterhouse. He willingly gave his life so that you and I would have forgiveness for our sins. The lamb of God, the only sacrifice that is more than enough to pay for the penalty of any man's sin, that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Year in and year out, the high priest would bring animal sacrifices at the temple. No amount of sacrifice is enough to forgive the sins of mankind once and for all. They had to do it every day, daily or yearly or annually, because every time that they go back to the temple, they're still sinners. Not until Christ came. And He came as Emmanuel. He came here to stay. He came here to be with us. Another name for Emmanuel is Jehovah Shammah. He's there. He's near. He's present. He's not somebody who's far, far away. He's transcendent. Yes, he is higher than any other being in the universe, but yet he is imminent. He is near. He's with you. In fact, he lives in us. The very presence of God was something that the people of God was longing for from day one. Adam and Eve were enjoying the presence of God in the garden. They walked with God every single day in the cool of the day of the garden. The Bible was saying that until they were disqualified in their walk with God. Yet God continued to reach out to His people and they sacrificed to Him. God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. He spoke to Abraham face to face. He actually showed Himself to David in the tabernacle. You know, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. Every time they bring the Ark of the Covenant, they would always win the battles against their enemies. And the time of Solomon created the temple, the Ark, and the presence of God was found in the temple of God. But nowadays, His presence is no longer in that temple in Jerusalem. His presence is in the temple called the people of God, the church. Amen. Come on now. We are the temple of the living God and God's presence is living in us. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is in fulfillment of the prophecy by Isaiah. Same word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what is the sign? A virgin was the sign. Who shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's amazing about this God is John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and He made His dwelling among us. In another translation, it says, He tabernacled with us. He didn't come and go. He didn't just visit. He came to stay. He's here. When Jesus was walking here on earth, He was the actual manifest presence of God walking in the world during that time. Then He lived His life he was crucified. He was buried. He resurrected. After 40 days, he went up to heaven and he ascended. But we were not left alone. 
because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. And whatever it is that you're going through, you know what? God is always with you. He's fighting for you, rooting for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's interesting that the incarnation is the noblest idea of any world religion. We are the only one that celebrates this. The concept of a God becoming a man so he can relate to this creation is unheard of. Many men throughout the world history have wanted to become gods. But there has only been one God who wanted to become a man. And his name is Jesus. Why will a God want to become a man? Why will Creator want to become created being? It's because of love. God is with us. God is for us. He's Messiah. He came to rule over us. His name is Jesus. He came to save us from our sins. And His name is Emmanuel. He came to be with us forever and ever. What does it mean for God to be with us? It means that He goes through your pain. He experienced your hunger. He experienced the same grief that you have. He experienced loss of a loved one. He experienced betrayal of friends. He experienced abandonment. He experienced poverty. He went through pain and he went through a lot. That's why he can relate with us and he, he can sympathize with our weakness. Remember this. No challenge, no problems, no uncertainty, no loneliness, no depression, no disappointment can ever separate us from the love of God who is found in Christ Jesus. Come on now. God is with us. And God will always remain with us. And what's interesting is he started off by saying, this son is going to be born to you guys, Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew ended his book by saying, and behold, in Matthew 28, verse 20, the very last verse, I am with you always to the end of the age. Emmanuel, God is with us. Come on now. Give you another hand. You may be going through the most difficult time right now in your life. God is there. Just hold on. It's going to be a nice ride, but just hang in.